and she asked me just point blank she said hey have you ever thought about dancing and of course I had to explain to her that you know as a Baptist preacher's daughter we don't believe in dancing and I didn't ever you know dance because I didn't want to go to hell and she starts telling me that's not exactly what she meant and that she was talking about exotic dancing deep dive into shame, what causes shame, the effects of shame, and where the feelings of shame come from. Let me first say, this episode, I want to share a part of my life with you that number one, I am not ashamed of. Number two, God has delivered me from, and if I don't share it, I feel like I'm doing a disservice to the Lord because the miracle of my life including this part of it is is just that a miracle the fact that I am where I am today having experienced some of the things that I've experienced by my own doing and decisions that I made of course based on things that happened to me and, and how that made me feel but as an adult the decisions that I made those things could have taken the worst turn in my life and I could be in a pit in Mexico somewhere and would not even be here today to tell you what the Lord has done. So it's important to me to explain to you what the Lord's done in my life and how he's delivered me. And another thing is that it is also evidence that there is nothing that you can ever do ever 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 to go so far that God's arms of grace cannot reach you I always tell people when you're dangling over the pit of hell and you have somebody that comes and rescues you from that and pulls you up and puts you on solid ground it is really really difficult not to talk about him it's kind of like when we first fall in love right all of my friends when I met Jim they knew immediately and probably got sick of hearing about him because he was the love of my life and I wanted to tell everybody I was so excited about him well that's the same way I feel about the way Jesus rescued me and that's why it's really hard for me not to talk about him and a lot of that is included in this story and why I'm so passionate about what he's done for me and what I know he can do in your life as well. When I was about 18 years old, I, I graduated from high school a little bit early. Um, I had barely turned 17 when I had graduated from high school. So I had already graduated and I was waiting tables and I was dating a guy and I at that point was looking for somebody to fix my life and to make this crazy you know identity that I knew was mine which was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and somebody who was worthless and broken I just wanted all of those feelings to go away and so this guy I was dating at the time asked me to marry him and I was so excited and was just so happy that someone wanted me 
And at that time, we were going to move to Colorado where his dad was and help him in his business. Well, when we got there, we were, you know, living in the house, <clears throat> excuse me, with him and were helping him run his business. And one day I had just gone off to go tan at the tanning salon and was coming out and getting ready. And I was approached by another girl that was in the tanning salon. And she asked me just point blank. She said, hey, have you ever thought about dancing? And of course, I had to explain to her that, you know, as a Baptist preacher's daughter, we don't believe in dancing. And I didn't ever, you know, dance because I didn't want to go to hell. And she starts telling me that's not exactly what she meant and that she was talking about exotic dancing. And I wasn't really even quite sure what to say to her, not even realizing she was being like serious. I thought, Maybe I'm on candid camera or something, but I don't know where this girl came from or why she thinks this would be a question that she should ask me of all people. So, you know, I'm trying not to be rude and I'm listening to her and she is proceeds to tell me how much money she makes and how great it is and just goes on and on and on. So by the time I get back out to the car, um, my mind is pretty much blown. I've never really even been into a normal, you know, dancing club. It was just not part of my life um, growing up and, you know, just was not ever exposed to that world. So I'm sharing this with my fiance at the time, expecting fully that he would say, you are crazy. What in the world? Like, why would anybody think you would ever do that? You know, just expecting that type of a reaction from him. Instead, I found out through his reaction that his sister also was a dancer and she kind of enjoyed it because it was a really good way to make money and maybe you should consider it. I'll put you on the phone with her when we get back. And I, at the time, not knowing that, first of all, I didn't have a voice and second of all, I was so afraid of that rejection from him and so knew that being accepted and being a part of a new family was the answer that I thought I was looking for. And so I got on the phone with her and allowed her to convince me that it wasn't as bad as what I thought and maybe I should give it a try. So that was earlier in the week. And so on that Friday night, my boyfriend drove me down to this club that I literally opened the door to a world I never knew existed. I was so in shock and so overwhelmed by what I saw that it's hard for me to even fathom being 18 years old in that kind of environment. I have an 18 year old son and the thought of him being in a place like that is so devastating to me. Um, he asked me not long ago if he could just go to a place where they allow dancing, like he can't drink or any of that, but he just wanted to go and see what it was like. And I thought I was going to lose my mind, you know, because I know those places, there's nothing good that happens there. And as a mom, you just want to protect them so much. And so it was so hard 
um, when I open the door to this world because everything from from what I knew just changed everything. I'd never seen anything like this. And as naive as I was um, by not even changing my stage name um, and, and dancing the first song as Wendy, and I will never forget that day because it was something that has, has burned a memory in my brain to where when I hear on the radio the song, the very first song that I ever danced to, I can't even listen to it. It is that, um, it's that traumatizing. You know when you're listening to a song and it reminds you of a time in your life, you know, music is very, very powerful. And so, I just can't listen to that song. And, and now, that, that whole period of almost two years of my life, um, of course, I didn't stay there, and, and I do need to say, as my husband reminds me when I tell this story, um, that relationship did not work out, obviously, and I left and moved away and was no longer with him. And I also want to say, it was not his choice. Um, would I have preferred for him to say, hey, I really don't know why this girl approached you, but... I really don't want you doing that because I love you and there's no way I want you to do that. Yes, that would have been my preferred choice, but because that was not how he responded, I still had a choice to make and I chose out of my own insecurity. It was my insecurity and my feelings of worthlessness that I thought if I did not do what I felt like he wanted me to do, then I was risking him not wanting me anymore. And those are the reasons why it is so important for us to learn early the way the enemy comes in and tries to destroy us, totally mess up our thinking, convince us that we are worthless, convince us that we are broken, and there's no amount of anything that can be toppled on that that's going to make us feel any worse. So my shame didn't get more necessarily. It just got like bulked together with the shame that I already felt from what had what I had experienced as a child. And so now I'm just carrying around you know, this ball of shame that's all intertwined with being molested, being a dancer, being broken, being, you know, promiscuous, and the list goes on. But the shame of any of that, whether it's one or all, the shame is a tool of the enemy. And that's how he gets us to do things that we normally would not have done. If I did not already have the shame of what had happened to me as a child, I would never have even considered to put myself in that position as a dancer. And the reason that I could is because I didn't feel like I was worth anything anyway. In fact, buckle your seatbelts for this one. For the first time in my life, when I stood on that stage, I actually felt safe. That safety is something I didn't feel at home. 
I did not feel like I could be at home and be safe from men touching me. See, on the stage, they could look, but they couldn't touch me because there was a bouncer that made sure that we were all safe. That was a great feeling for me. That was something that I hadn't experienced since I was 11. See, what you don't know is after I went back to live with my mom and I left my dad molesting me, it wasn't long before my stepdad began to molest me. And then on top of that, I had a teacher that molested me. I had a Sunday school teacher's husband that molested me. I had a cheerleading sponsor's brother that molested me. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? It was a continual abuse that led me to believe that there was something about me that was inherently broken, that was inherently damaged. And so by the time I was 18, I had been abused so many times that standing on a stage and dancing where they could just look at me and not touch me was empowering. The funny thing, if there's anything funny about this is, I was so afraid to taste alcohol, puff on a cigarette, or try any drug whatsoever. I'm talking like, I didn't even drink NyQuil because it had alcohol in it, okay? So, because my dad had literal six-part sermon series on why tasting alcohol would send you to hell. So, I did this whole almost two years in this club without tasting alcohol or having any kind of substance in my body. So, I'm not real sure looking back how I was able to do that other than knowing this. And listen up. This is gonna blow your mind. God had a plan for everything. He could have stopped me from dancing. He could have. I mean, he's God, right? He could have stopped me. He could have struck me dead. He could have, he could have paralyzed me. He could have done all kinds of stuff to stop me from dancing, okay? Just like he could have stopped Paul from persecuting the church, right? Before he met him on the road to Damascus. Okay, God is capable of doing anything. But God also gives us free will. And because of my choice, he allowed that two-year period in my life and then got to the point where, okay, that's enough, Wendy. And he literally met me where I was. He met me, it's going to blow your mind, but he met me on a toilet <laughs> right before work and I thought he was trying to kill me and I was literally praying for death. I was in so much pain. I won't go into the details. Number one, I'm trying to keep this as short as possible, but um, I literally prayed for the Lord to kill me knowing that I deserved death because I was in so much pain. This went on for about 45 minutes until I finally made a bargain with him. It's all I knew to do. And I just said, Lord, if you will make this pain stop, I promise I will never dance again. 60 seconds later, this pain was gone, never came back. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do because that had become my life. It was now my new identity because I was accepted in this club. I was protected in this club and I was successful in this club. And I didn't know what in the world 
I had just done by making this promise to the Lord. But again, going back to my childhood and the stories that I learned from my dad standing behind the pulpit, I was reminded of a man in the Bible who God sent into war and he asked the Lord um, for victory in this war and promised the Lord that if he would grant him a victory, that he would sacrifice the very first thing that ran out his door when he got home, assuming it was going to be some kind of an animal that lived on his property. And so as the story goes, he was victorious in the war, he gets home, and the first thing out of his door was his daughter. And, you know, the story is terrible, but what it teaches us is we have to be very, very serious if we make a promise to the Lord. And I knew that. I knew that even as a stripper, okay? Because God had implanted his word in my heart when I was very young. And as the Bible says, if you have, you know, first of all, the Lord, the word never comes back void. And if you raise them up in the way they should go, when they are old, they will, they will not depart from it. So although I was doing my best to try to run away from the Lord, not because I was mad at him or blamed him for anything that he had allowed happen in my life, but just because this whole God thing and these rules that were um, meant to protect me, none of that worked. So I wanted to see what else was out there that maybe I would feel protected. And I believe that the enemy used the fact that I felt safe and protected on the stage to keep me there. But just like we talked about before, what the enemy meant to destroy me, God then was using for my good and his glory. So today, I can go into any of the topless clubs in our area and have and when I walk in, there's an immediate bond with these girls because they know that I've literally walked in their shoes. And the number one question that they have for me is, how did you get out? And I ask them, do you really, really want to know? And they say, yes, we want to know. And that is just an open door where it allows me to share Jesus with them and talk to them about what he did and how he is the only answer and the only way out. Most of the girls in these clubs are not there because they just got up and decided, hey, I think I want to be a topless dancer today. That is not why they're there. And those people that judge them because of that have never walked in their shoes. So when I walk in and I understand their journey, 100% of them have some kind of story like mine. And 100% of them don't want to be there. And so the only way to escape something like that is to find your worth and to get rid of the shame in Jesus. And again, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can't do that in the flesh. And those clubs are full of flesh. That's all there is there. So it's very important as we are working through this journey together of the effects of childhood sexual abuse and things that can happen as a result of that and how we overcome those things and become victors instead of victims that we all acknowledge that we've got things in our past 
that have either happened to us or that we have made decisions about that we wouldn't have made or if we could go back and change that we would. There are so many things that we don't talk about again because they're so buried and we don't want to bring that secret out. But without revealing those things, and I'm not saying to get on a camera and, and tell the entire world. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying finding somebody where you can finally come out of this prison that you've built for yourself. That's what I'm talking about. Just getting it out there, dragging it out from under the ground, taking the secrecy away from it, which removes its power, and confiding in at least one person so that you can then start the healing process. And it is amazing the things that God does with that. He just needs you to be willing. And so, and then he meets you right where you are. I mean, if he'll meet me on the toilet, he's going to meet you wherever you happen to be. And if he's going to meet me dangling over the pit of hell, there's nowhere he's not going to go. So it's our fault if we do not readily accept his gift to us. He's not a bulldozer. He is going to be a gentleman. He is going to stand and wait for you. And sometimes we just need to turn ever so slightly back towards him for him to come and meet us right, right where we are. He just needs to know that we're willing to do that. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes we wonder, you know, what in the world? Like, why would he want me? I really struggle with that. Like, there are so many better people in the world that he should pick or he should work through or he should you know utilize and I've argued with him over that but it's not my plan for me it's his plan for me and his plan for me has been his plan for me before the foundation of the world before my mom and dad were even a thought and so for me to come to that realization knowing that this whole thing was already planned out and to feel the worth that comes with knowing that the creator of the universe that spoke everything into existence thought of me and had a plan for all of the dumb stuff that I would do and the horrible things that happened to me that is so empowering and it it, it is the opposite of shame. It is the opposite of unworthiness and the opposite of brokenness. But it is only attainable because he sees us through the blood of his son. We are not worthy in his sight without Jesus. And because of Jesus, we are made worthy. But that is a gift that we have to receive. It's just like I was talking about before with love. You cannot give something out that you've never received. So if we're not willing to receive it, then that's not going to change our perspective of how we see ourselves. And until we learn to see ourselves the way God sees us, the way Jesus sees us, then we will stay in that victimhood and that victim mentality. So I want to encourage you today, it does not matter what you've done, okay? Let's think about Paul for just a minute, okay? Ephesians, I believe, tells us, it might be Galatians, but somewhere in Paul's writing, he tells us that he was set aside for God's service in his mother's womb, okay? That's pretty early in life, right? He's not even born yet. Why in the world do you think that God would have allowed him to do 
all the damage that he did as Saul, all that damage, and not meet him on the road to Damascus where Saul clearly turned his life around. Why wouldn't he have done that when he was 8 years old or 12 years old or whatever, you know, before he started persecuting Christians? Why wouldn't he have done that? God knew exactly what Saul was going to do, but he also knew that where he would meet Saul, change his name to Paul, and everything that Paul would do to spread the gospel. That's the reason we're all sitting here today is because Paul wrote so much of the New Testament to show us how to live. Well, Paul never one time encountered somebody who could say to him, you don't know what I've done. Because Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. And that's how I feel is that when I look at myself and I want to wallow in my own, you know, horrible things that I've done or things I've thought or things I've said, I can get very down on myself and definitely feel like the chief of sinners. But God, God provided the sacrifice to cleanse us of all of that. And we have to receive that as our free gift. So, I am going to encourage you again, if you do not have that gift of salvation, if you have not asked God to come into your heart, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, please reach out to us. Our email will be in the comments or in the notes below. Or find somebody that you know, that you know has a personal relationship with the Lord and find out how to make that your personal relationship as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Truth Talk.